Nobody I know around here wanted to see it. So. Oh, so you were swollen and bloated with insights. And some you're just <laughs> waiting for someone to pop you like a zit. I saw it by myself, and there were only four other people in the theater. So, I was surprised how many people there were in the audience. Were you guys? Was it was it a big screen? Well, there yeah, there's more. There were more people there than usual, and the late screening of anything. Mm-hmm. But it also was the only screening that allowed you to bring a friend with a pass. Oh, okay. All so right, if anybody awesome. wanted, yeah. So if anybody wanted to bring. A Free- friend with a pass. They had to wait till the late screening. So a lot of them were just freeloaders <laughs> like me. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. All right. Well, well, whenever you are ready, Scott. I'm ready right now. So he says. <laughs> you know what? That made me think about things and kind of reflect on my life. Am I really ready? Am I really ready right now? <laughs> It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie. Challenge. That's right. It's, it's the, the Unknown Movie Challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome to the Unknown Movie Challenge. This week, we're going back to the future. It's Blade Runner 2049, which is 40 years after Blade Runner Original Recipe, uh, which came out in, what, 1980-something? God, I, I, should, bank. I should do some research. I know. Maybe 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 may have been later. I don't remember. Jesus, I, remember how I should have looked this up. Anyway. <laughs> but, but, it, but in the Blade War, Runner world, it's only 30 years later. Oh, is that right? Well, yeah. uh, it's been a hard 30 years based on Harrison Ford's face. <laughs> the original was uh, tw- supposed to be in 2019. Because ah. I was thinking... A lot of weird things are going to happen in the next two years. Well, <laughs> you, you know what? Bef- before well, Trump the, is president. Before the last yeah. presidential election, I would have thought this was far-fetched. Now it seems less like sci-fi than like a documentary. So I was like, were you ever... It'll be on the A&E channel or the History Channel. Did you ever wonder how things went up? Then? All right. Anyway, you guys sat down. You went to the, all the trouble of watching <laughs> the original before seeing the, the new one, right? Yes. One of them, I, you know, one right. of the versions. One, one, one of the multiple cuts. Yeah, not the theatrical <laughs> yeah. release cut. Oh, that's all I know. Okay. It was one of the other ones. Was and it? Scott, yeah. I was not confused because the theatrical release, uh, release did end with them going off into the uh, PCH and heading off into Wawa, lovely land. So it wasn't confusion. They didn't do that in the final cut. Oh, Okay, yeah. well, that's totally different than the last cut I saw. I, I saw the original when it came out, and then I saw a later cut that eliminated the narration and had some different scenes. But I, there's like five others that you can choose from uh, and mix and match. So, but we learned that part of that, that final cut was stu- leftover footage from The Shining. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah that's, that's going off into the sunset scenes. Go ahead, John. Yeah, the uh, heading up PCH that actually is uh, were scenes from the, sh- the shots from The Shining. Oh my god, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, because the studio wanted happy ending stuff, so 
he uh, out Brazil of them. Yeah, they loaned them the. He's like, hey, well, I got this footage I didn't use. Here you go, <laughs> and that's what he used. <laughs> I, we, were, we were originally going to use it in a KTL commercial. <laughs> driving a PC. I'm kind of embarrassed, I have to admit. I have the Blu-ray release that has all of the cuts of Blade Runner collected. And, uh, okay. <laughs> they have a set that has all of them. It was given to me as a gift. I, I freaking love the original movie. Well, let's see how embarrassed you should be. How many of these cuts have you watched? I've seen all of them. Okay, you should be damn embarrassed. I didn't watch them all once, mind you, but I mean, I have seen all of them, yes. Okay. Well, I, and, and the original is your favorite? No, no, actually, I uh, the final cut. Final cut's my favorite. Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah, the fi- uh, that's yeah. The final cut's my favorite. The original, even 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 in the, when I saw it in the theaters, I remember as a teenager, as much as I loved the movie, being annoyed by the narration. Well, it's partly because mm-hmm. Harrison Ford isn't that good of an actor. And if you have to just listen to him, I mean, some people, they're fine when they're on screen. He's one of those people that has charisma. He's fine, I think, when he's on screen. But if you just listen to his voice, I think this is why he doesn't get like he's one of those older actors who doesn't get a lot of work um, being being the sonorous voice of some high end car commercial. (laughs) He's he's just not that good. Um, Before we get into the movie, I have a question for you guys, for the three of you, since you guys are much more connected to the industry than I am. Um, Was there anybody out there that actually believed this movie was going to be a financial success opening weekend? There was was a guy named Carl. There was one guy who thought so, because I swear to God, after opening weekend, I saw everybody on Twitter going, oh my God, it's a box office failure, blah, blah. And I'm like... You were expecting anything different. The first one was anyway. And beyond that, it's a three-hour art film. It's not going to be fucking Civil War box office, for Christ's sake. And everyone should have known that. Yes? Exactly. No? Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. It, okay, it, it, okay. It, it was a, it's a, I don't know. I, what, I don't remember. I wasn't there the first time around. I mean, I wasn't, you know, aware. Uh, <laughs> so... I mean, it just seems like it was more of a cult hit. I heard about it when, like when I was in, I guess, high school, and I saw it then. You know, I when you're getting into cult person. stuff. I was the so. only person in the theater the first time I saw Blade Runner back when it came out. It was my own private screening. <laughs> <laughs> Which, granted, for a movie like that, it was awesome. I could just sit there and go, "Wow!" Let take you know, let it just take in the entire thing. But still, I mean, I I was just I did not understand people's negative reaction to the box. I mean, the studios had the studio had to have known. Yeah, that was a regional thing because Scott and I saw it at the Hastings, which is a huge or was a huge theater in Pasadena, and it was almost full. Awesome. and people were applauding and they were cheering and stuff. And I that's me coming from the East Coast, I would I was not used to that kind of stuff. People didn't do that in movies. They didn't they didn't applaud people on the credits, you know, and, <laughs> and so so it was very weird for me, but I remember that. It was it was pretty well packed, wasn't it, Scott? Oh absolutely. And and you're right. Yeah. The, the crowd the crowd reaction was boisterous and I was shocked that it kinda dropped like a stone after that not not that i knew what the box office numbers were because nobody talked about that then i mean unless you subscribed to variety but it's it seemed like it's like a couple of times and this has probably happened to you you you, you go to a, a preview screening and you, oh, i really like that movie and then it just never never opens or you never hear about it or never you say oh i'm gonna take my friends or, to it when it comes out 
you know, when it comes out, it's a totally different movie, and you're embarrassed yeah. because you talked up this awesome right. film, and then it comes out, and your <laughs> friends are like, what the hell were you thinking? This is a piece of shit. And I was like, I swear, it was totally different when I saw it. That, <laughs> first that, thought, it was so good. That happened to me with <laughs> Superman 2. Uh, I saw I saw a different cut in in London with uh, my friend Chuck, and I came back yeah. and, and it hadn't opened in the U.S. yet. And I go, oh yeah, this is this it's really good, and they had edited it. And Superman was really kind of a dick, so it was it was very it was very embarrassing. But uh, the the studios are hoping to get most of their money uh, to recoup most of the the uh, most of it in Asia. Um, okay. I think it's what it is. It's a product of this reboot age of how, you know, the the, the powers that be ha- don't want to risk anything on anything new. They're just going to reboot the old stuff and, and hope that the built-in audience will be there and then they'll get maybe a few more people. That's that's what I think this is. Nobody wanted a. Uh, I don't think when I heard that it was going to be written, uh, re, you know, redone, uh, not redone, uh, a sequel, I suppose. Um I thought that's insane. I pity the poor man who has to write that. Yep. And then, then it was uh, Michael Green. And I went, oh well, all right. At least I know how to get in contact to send my condolences if I want to. <laughs> and the original writer too, Hampton Fisher. Yes. Yeah. Do you know yes. Michael Green? Oh, that's right, you do. Don't you? I. No, I don't know Michael. I know his wife yeah. and family. Oh wow! The, okay. The in-laws. I know the in-laws. That's cool. But I, I will say I think he did a they they did a wonderful job. I mean, as far as that goes. Oh, agreed, agreed. Uh, I have no problems with with the script. I have no problems with the visual styling. I think it was very well directed. I have a question about the performances, but I don't have a problem with them. Let me let me ask you guys. Seems like I mean, with with this and films like Drive, it seems like Ryan Gosling plays a lot of leading men with punchable faces and flat affects. <laughs> He's not really expressive in this. Uh, and and it, it's fine. It fits the character. But did you find him compelling? Because he just sort of walks. I don't want to say sleepwalks, but he ambles through the movie. You made, a, you made an interesting point because uh, there was really one thing that stuck out in my mind when he is uh, leaving the lady in the bubble mm-hmm. and she says something. And he looks back at her and just stands there looking for a while and then turns and walks away. And I go, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, like, I felt the movie was so slow in spots. And yet, as you said, the, even the slowness worked for the film. So I, I thought, yeah, I was I found his uh, his performance uh, to be compelling in the things that he didn't do. Oh, you know what I mean. right. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, he did. Um, somebody. Somebody said that about it was an actor in a in a Hitchcock movie. And why, why did you cast this guy? Because oh, he does nothing well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because it because it allows you to read anything you want into yes. that face. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's what some of the best actors do. I don't know if you if you notice the ones who get all the Oscars, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, except for all the the crying they might do they won't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just read into anything into their face. And but that's so hard to do. I mean, if you're an actor, you know that stillness is so hard. Mm-hmm. We want to move, we always want to react, but sometimes mm-hmm. the non-reaction is the best thing cuz then the audience can interpret it to their uh their own experience. 
Right. And then it's more impactful. And I think I think that's what he was doing here. Yeah, that's true, and and that's a good point. It takes it takes a confident director to hold those moments to not cut away. But you really do have to depend on the the depth and the charisma of your actor and and their willingness to just to be a mirror to the audience. But it, it's true. A lot of actors will. And this was something that was hard for me to get used to because I thought, oh, they always want more lines. Well, some do, but the better ones don't. They will cut lines. They will, well, can I just, Mm -hmm. can I just look at him here? Can I, can I not have a snappy comeback? Right. And well, whether he, whether this represents a good example of this phenomenon or not, in the last movie I worked on, Nicolas Cage did that a lot. He had some snappy lines. And he said, I'd rather just just stare at her or look at her or be thoughtful or or do a bit of physical business. And, or punch her. And, or punch her, yeah. But and, I think it depends on the film, though. I mean, this film it works really well for. I mean, this is kind of slow, moody, artsy. It it goes for that. But, you know, if you're talking some shoot 'em up action-adventure right. superhero film, maybe not so much. The inter- yeah, so, the interesting thing is, is his... His holographic girlfriend is way more expressive and lively than he is. She's she's yeah. tearful. She's coy. She's sexy. She's she's needy. She's love she, and she, joy. She, yeah, love she, and joy. Both of them were amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like the the more the more clearly artificial they are, the the more they're full of of uh, human emotions. Like love was full of rage and joy was full of love and joy and and concern and worry and concern and worry and all and all of those all of those um nurturing emotions and Kay, the ryan gosling part who i get the impression was trying to be as human as he could because he was he's he works with human beings he was trying to be less came off as as the most robotic of anybody i disagree with that okay i think a much more robotic performance in the film and again as much as i love the film and i understand why this performance went this way but jared leto bugged me uh i agree oh, that wasn't oh, ro- thank you that wasn't I, robotic I, that was indulgent I, it was indulgent you see i mean i i, I th- okay thank you i was trying to be nice the actor in me was going okay the man who creates the the robots is more robotic than the actual robots i mean i could see what he was going for but no it was indulgent crap thank you so much okay i feel better now oh he's carrying the, he's he's taken over the gary oldman mantle and he's he's running <laughs> with it thank you okay. and i love gary oldman i yes. i i do but but, but um, do we need more than one <laughs> well, no, Gary Oldman now is not the Gary Oldman then. Jerry, Jerry Little exactly. over the Gary Oldman then. I was, I was going to say, I'm speaking of Gary Oldman, I really want to see, what is it, Darkest Hour? Yes, I want to see it too. <laughs> I think I think he's going to be amazing in that movie. But that's but you know getting back getting back to this. I thank you guys so much for saying that because this is that's the one thing that has been eating at me since I saw this film. I didn't know if I needed to like Leto's performance to truly enjoy the movie, or if I can say I love the film, but he really bugged the hell out of me. This is kind of a segue because it's it's about the character and not the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it interesting that in the original. Uh, the maker of the replicants, who did nothing but make them and love them, uh, ended up being killed. And the in Leto's uh, maker, who just like 
wastes them whenever he wants to, you know, cuts them up because he thinks they're barren and stuff like that, was really kind of, and has this uh, killer robot going out, replicant going out and killing people for him, doesn't get killed at the end of the film. So it's kind of a weird juxtaposition. I, that's, you know, we, I don't know. I was going to say, you, you could do a whole segment on this character, I think, because I don't get him at all. I don't get the point of him other than being the big bad. He's also rather two-dimensional. And But what they did do, what his character did, actually, and that's a whole other conversation, is give even more weight to the original maker and what he did in that film by, by positing the theory of, did he orchestrate you meeting um, uh, Roxanne? And, you know, it gave it all that more, gave him more weight and import than, than he originally had in the film. Rachel. Anyway. Well, Rachel, that's, Rachel, sorry. That's sorry. an interest. That's an interesting point because that is as as I remember the role of of Terrell, who I think was played by Joe Turkle, who was a who was a great um, yeah. character actor of the of the fifties and sixties. He seemed more like a father to the characters and Leto's to the to the replicants, and Leto seems to treat them more like he's a god. He's more aloof and remote. And looking down from uh, Olympian Heights. And Turkle was more, I don't know, he seemed more, like there seemed to be more of a filial relationship. And, with, with and Little's character is contradictory because the whole reason he's searching for uh, the reproducing replicants or the, or the possibility of reproduction is because he's falling behind on his quotas yeah. and he has to have them make their own themselves. And then he just wastes one, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> he pops it out of the slime, puts his stomach on the belly and goes, ah, you're useless. Cut it open. You know? Yeah. I go, what the heck's that? Well, this seems to be one case, a case where the, the um, writing or the film and the actor are in opposition to each other because Leto's performance seems to say that he's, he's the sort of, he's the sort of right. detached creator. But the film is saying, no, no, he's just an industrialist who, as you say, has a quota to meet. Uh, his motives are very odd and murky and contradictory and not in a oh it gets you thinking way but in a sort of hmm i don't think they solve that problem way or just they they hired jared leto and they get what they deserve <laughs> i'm kind of down to be a that and the whole thing where he, he wore those those uh contact lenses which made him blind on set so he couldn't really the blocking had to be extraordinarily simple to the point where it was it was a struggle for him to like reach up and grab someone's arm. Uh, he had to do it very slowly. Well, let's see, where are you? It's like, and there was no reason for it. The character wasn't blind, and they never really reference his his eyes. And they certainly seemed to be uh, they didn't seem to be an improvement on regular eyes. It's just it, it was a weird thing. He wanted to do it as an actor. You know, an actor prepares see, I- to be annoying. <laughs> See, I got the sense that he was blind and that he saw through those little remotes that flied around, flew around oh. when he hooked up his, his neck. He turned on his neck. Turned on his neck. You know what? That would make sense. <laughs> if, if that was the case, if he, if he had drone vision. That, yeah. That, you know, I think you're helping the movie. Powered by Amazon. I think, yes. I think you're coming up with a better uh, explanation than they did. But you may be right. You may be right. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, random, random tangent. But I, I give them massive props for uh, having the all of the original company billboards that were in the original Blade Runner. <laughs> one, I the, the uh, that was just that was a nice little in joke. Did they have right down to the? Yes, right down to the anachronism. 
Yes. Uh, because mm-hmm. we, we noticed that uh, that Pan Am was missing, you know, it was in the original and say, well, that's gone. Yep. And then they had it in this one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for years, resurgence Atari, of Pan Am. Yeah. For years, Atari was gone. And now it's back. Yeah, right. that's true. So for, for, yeah, for a while, that was that was, ooh, that's a failure of prognostication. Yeah. Leno, I think, was 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 problematic. Who impressed you? Uh, whose performance went above what you were expecting? Anyone? I would I would say uh, love. Uh, <laughs> the, she, she had quicksilver changes between. Oh hi, I'm here to help you. Dead. I have to agree. Love was pretty impressive. Yes. I would say love. Both love and joy were the two highlights. But I do have to throw out real fast a special. Massive shout out to Harrison Ford seeing Rachel for the first time again. That was amazing, especially since it was obviously a you know a stand-in with a a, a blue uh, hood on. Uh, yeah, but I mean, set. his he, he sold that scene. He totally sold that. That was yeah. some. That was Harrison Ford working, and it was just, it was a great moment. But yeah, but joy and love were just the, the standouts. I was actually impressed with the performance of the L.A. River. It was bigger and grander than I'd ever seen it before and ever will see it. <laughs> I have nothing to compare it to. I thought it was kind of mediocre personally, but... <laughs> but you're, yeah, you, you're in the land of... Don't you have the great Ohio Never been that much water in the, in the L.A. River ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because in the first film, it was raining constantly. And it yes. seems like it seems like they're in the middle of a, a really persistent drought. This um, is that's the actual the, the prognostication they got right. Yeah. Was the climate change. Yeah. Oh, oh, and real fast, another thing that I was not expecting at all that I'm so glad I didn't see spoilers for that just the little the Blade Runner fan in me so happy. Edward James almost his cameo. Yay. Yes. That was just I had just finished talking to Blanche and Scott and saying, you know, I don't know why they didn't bring back almost. You know, <laughs> they, and boom, there he was. I, I was, I, I, when I went in, I was sitting there going, are we going to get that? I didn't think we were. I was so happy. And another random tangent, another actor that really surprised me, Dave Bautista at the beginning. But you know when he, you know why he's there? Or no, why I've decided. This one's, I've decided he's there. Why is he um, there? It's to further the debate about whether or not Deckard is a replicant. Because for me, you know, hey, he's old. Mm. He's aged. But so has Batista. Batista has aged. He's an old uh, replicant. If, if, If Deckard is one, they're of the same, you know, old, old time model, the originals or whatever they're called. And he would be, he's aged as well. So anyway, that's Yeah, I was... I was going to ask if, if we were going to address the replicant elephant in the room. <laughs> Whether or not Deckard, Deckard is in, as a replicant. And I have my own belief, and I surprisingly agree with Harrison Ford. Oh, oh. Do tell. <laughs> yeah, well, see, you know, we, after, after that, we went in, uh, onto YouTube and looked up uh, replic- Deckard replicant and looked at all the different theories and stuff like that. And, you know, there seemed to be an equal amount of, uh, of evidence on both sides. Mm-hmm. But here's the way I see it. Remember I mentioned to you that, um, that c- when cross-species uh, mate, the, the offspring is, is infertile. Right. And so the offspring is somehow, and I said, so this woman in the bubble was immune deficient. 
because of the you know the joining of the two species and you guys said no they're not the same two different species they're both replicants and i'm going aha but if they were this would be true and and there was another reason oh my god it's gone out of my head um then uh, well, talk amongst yourselves about that, and then I'll see if I can think about the <laughs> okay. other. Okay. Well, that's true. That's that, that that is a good point because you say you know the the whole you know breed a horse and a donkey and you get a, a mule which can't can't breed. Um, Wait, but you countered Scott at that time that that yeah, but that may have all been a you know the whole uh, immune deficiency may have been just a ruse to to keep her hidden and safe. I still think and that. that she, yeah, right. But I mean, you know, I should. She got sick, and I think she would know if she got sick, you know. But she survived in that, that filthy orphanage long enough to bury yeah. the horse in, exactly. in ash. So I don't think, I, I think that that's, that's that I think that is a ruse. I think they've got her in this room that she can never, you know, with a plausible reason for never being able to leave and work that she loves and keeps her happy so that she's impossible for the the corporate forces that but need to But who are they? I, I agree. The people behind the conspiracy that that whisked her away in the first place. Yeah, yeah. But the, these an, people have been a, looking. The people that she creates the what do you call the memories for these replicants. So she's part of the system, and the yes, system has been looking for to, her. They're hiding her right under their noses. Hide in plain sight. They're exactly. They're not looking for her within their own organization, and the replicants are well entrenched, and they're, you know, they're all working together in their little network. Oh. I, I don't look. remember what the other thing was. Okay, go ahead. The other thing was, if if it was the the, the issue was the fact that replicants can re, uh, reproduce, why did they need the original? Just go out and fuck, you <laughs> know. Just go out and until you create more. Why do we have to protect the original? Why do we have to have her? Why does the other side only want her? Right. Uh, so that's why I'm saying it's like if it was if it was she's special because she's from two different breeds. I think that for the first film, it's a good story for Decker to be a replicant. It's that that they can be a replicant and not know, um, and and I think it makes it really really interesting. For the second film, yes, that uh, Rachel's child is some sort of human replicant hybrid. That's a whole new creature, and that's cool. But it's also cool if the replicants can reproduce on their own because. Holy shit! They don't need humans at all, yeah. and and they could be the future of quote unquote humanity without any humans whatsoever. All and that makes it frightening. Before, all this will happen again. Yeah. And, so and, go ahead. And I find it interesting that the, the evidence that uh, Deckard was a replicant in the first film was stuff that was added later by the director, like the unicorn yep. dream, et cetera, et cetera. Because so, really, so like, Scott. Ridley Scott says that Deckard is a replicant. So you've exactly. got the director saying one thing, the actor saying something else. Uh, me personally... I, what does the writer right. say? Is the writer talking about? Did the writer ever come that down I on this? I don't know. In, I have, what it is in the book, Blanche? Uh, what is in the book? Well, I believe... Well, in the book, he he's constantly dreaming of his electric you know, Sheep. animals. Yeah. <laughs> Sheep, yes. Um, I, he takes the tests, and I believe in the test. It's been forever, but I believe he's human. Yeah, I uh, think as a that's fact, one, of, one of the things on YouTube said that. Me. Yeah, he he tests himself, but he, who knows? 
Yeah, I thought I yeah. I remember it being ambiguous, but I read the book probably thirty years ago, so don't go by me. Here, here's a here's same some, for me, same for me. Yeah, well, here let me ask you guys a, a question about because they did address it. They, as you say, they they, they addressed the replicant elephant in the room when uh, Deckard and uh, whatever his name is when Jared Leto's character are face to face in that really damp and soggy office he has. Um, and he's basically he's saying, well, you were programmed to fall in love at this because you were you were going to be the Adam and Eve of these the robot race. And it was all programming and there was no there was no free will involved. Basically saying, I know you're a replicant. And Decker doesn't say, no, I'm not. He doesn't say, yes, I am. He says, I know what's real. And that could mean mm-hmm. anything. Let me ask you guys. Do you think that that was smart or do you think it was a cop out? I think it was smart because I love the debate. I think it's good for the film and I think it's good for storytelling. If you can come away with it arguing about that. I like that that Harrison Ford decided that Deckard was human and has been playing him that way all along. Regardless of what you know he thinks or the director thinks, I think it makes for better storytelling, personally. Jeff? I'm 100% agreeing with Blanche on this one. I don't even have anything to add. She said exactly what I wanted to say. So, what do you think, John? Yeah, yeah points exactly. to you, Blanche. I mean, thank you. Just the fact that Blanche and I are on opposite sides of this and still <laughs> and still can find can find the uh, the validity in the other side is is seeing that just that's a great thing by itself. I wish the world would work that way. Uh-huh. Uh, but but uh, the thing that I found interesting, I'm this is kind of a slight departure, is that um, the. The uh, replicants that he killed were Nexus Sixes, right? And someone said he was a Nexus Seven, and yet he's supposed to be a really old one. So I, I'm just—I was confused about that chronology. I believe that the the Rucker Hauer—they were Sixes. They were Nexus Sixes. I believe Rachel was the next generation, no, no limited lifespan model, the Nexus Sevens, and Kay and his ilk. Aren't they, they eight? They're eights, and they're the ones who are the the, the ones who who presumably have no free will, or cannot, or or who have to obey their programming, or are not going to go rogue and, right. and and dress up dress up like you know characters from the class of Newcomb High. <laughs> that, see, there's another point. A, a Mr. Mr. Brilliant Man, and I'm uh, I'm got, carry on with the replicant and making them obey. Why does he believe that the offspring would also obey? Yeah, that was a huge gaping hole, I thought. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not that smart, is he? That that was that's my if he was smart, he'd get better. If he was smart, he'd get better lighting in his in his office. (laughs) Well, it didn't flicker on and off. He's blind, so what difference does it make? (laughs) Very true. Yeah, he had a he had a really odd sense of uh, feng shui in that place. I gotta say, you would think love would be saying. Can we just get this fixed? Yeah, you're blind. You're gonna step. You're you're constantly stepping in these puddles, which don't need to be in your office. Right. There's no need for this. We don't even have koi in here. <laughs> he likes adding to the degree of difficulty. Right. It's like like Audrey Hepburn waiting until dark. I'm going to be a world champion blind lady. <laughs> All right. So. Oh, one question. Yes. Anybody remember what almost his character made? I can't remember what he made. His origami when in his one, it was no in his in no, the no. Oh, in, in this cameo. one. No, in this scene in the cameo. Oh, sorry. Um, oh hell, look like a cow. 
or something. <laughs> well, that's what I'm wondering if it was a cow or an elephant or a rhino. Because they meant something every time he made one. And, yes, they did. And I was trying for the life of me. I couldn't remember like if it was an elephant. Hello, elephant. It was an like... elephant. Of course it was an elephant. It was the elephant in the room. Uh. Right. Well, that's what I was wondering. It was a big creature. Like you said, a cow or an elephant or a rhino or something. And of course, I... maybe what it means is... I'm really old now, and I don't have the same manual dexterity I used to. Can't can't do a unicorn. Sorry, kids. How about a cow? It's like it's like it's I like mean, a, it's, a, it's like a clown, a birthday clown who's had a stroke. Well, like I can't do the involved balloon animals. I can make a sword. How's that? Uh, sacred cow. Sacred cow. Okay. Wow, you really <laughs> you're really looking for the metaphorical levels in this origami. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, it but it was there. It's not like I'm making it up. It was no, there no. from the beginning. So it's there for trying a reason. to figure. Yeah, actually, you know, almost was another thing that 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 for me uh, played to my side, saying that he's not a replicant, is because almost almost meets him very quickly, right? Um, uh, when he goes to arrest him, that's the first time they meet, and he drags him back to uh, to headquarters, uh, and then. Um, the part of the theory was that he created this unicorn because he knew uh, the, the daydream that he had because it was implanted. Right. And I'm thinking, and then he lets them go. And I'm thinking, he didn't really know him long enough to say, oh, but he's a good replicant. I'll, I'll let, they're both good replicants. I'll let them go, you know. Uh, I would That's think true. that he would didn't... happen much more. If, if a human fell in love with a replicant, there'd be more of that like, okay, the guy's a fool. He's going to lose her anyway let him have his few moments with her, you know? That seemed to be his attitude. Right. Um, Yeah, he didn't seem like a particularly sentimental guy. Right. uh, In the first movie. So, yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of implanted memories, so I was very disappointed by this story when when it seemed like, oh, okay, so he's the kid, blah, blah, blah. He was put in the orphanage, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, everything that happens... He finds the horse. Everything that happens indicates that that's what it was. I, so I was disappointed that it was so easy to figure out so early on. But the movie was interesting. I was still enjoying it. So I go, oh, I'll just, you yeah, know, I'm happy to go along for the ride. And then they did throw a big curveball. <laughs> so hey, real fast, uh, real fast. Uh, this, is, this is from the interwebs. Gaff lays down a sheep origami, which directly uh, insults Officer uh, K by implying he is like a sheep, always following orders. Or it's a reference to the title of the or novel. Or it's a reference to, the, yeah, I think it's a, a more than one meaning. Well, yeah. And in the first and in the first Blade Runner, he put down a chicken, a man with an erection, and then the unicorn. I don't remember the man with the erection, but yeah. uh, I do remember the chicken. Sorry, I, I looked it up when you asked that question. I just wanted to throw that out there when I found it. Oh, thank you. No, it was a little matchstick man. That's, oh, thank you. Okay, yep, yep, I remember now. Thank you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry for the interruption. Go no, on. no, no. That's that's that answers the question. You're right. So it's still they're still going with the with him 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 being a sarcastic origamist. <laughs> also, uh, by the way, going back to the original, um, you know, in the in the the show the the book is of course Stu Andrews' Dream of Electric Sheep. Rachel means you. Ooh. So they did that way back then. Wow. <laughs> Mind blown! Did not know that. (laughs) Wow! I have even more appreciation for the film now. That's cool. 
And Rachel is the mother of Joseph, who I guess was supposed to lead the people out of slavery or something. That was his destiny. Mm. I don't know if that yeah. actually happened. That's the extent. So, if the child of Rachel's supposed to—I mean, they didn't really hint that at the second in the second film, but the the what? belief in that child is supposed to lead to rebellion. So, the final know. film in the trilogy, Blade Runner, <laughs> War for the Conquest of the Replicants. <laughs> no, starring Woody Harrelson as Harrison Ford. Yeah, first you have to have, first you have to battle, then the conquest. Right. Sorry. <laughs> but, but when do they escape? Escape from the planet of the replicants. <laughs> so escape from the dingy, damp. Boy, they're in the middle of what Vegas. That, that was the thing. I couldn't understand why Harrison Ford, Ford was the smart one to pick, you know, a swanky hotel to live in, and they were in the dank, uh, dark, wet garage. I don't know. Everything I just, is wet. I just found place. it interesting that it would be typical that uh, Vegas would be uh, ground zero for a nuclear attack. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Aww. <laughs> as, long, as long as they hit the Chapel of Love. Or we got married. Hey, it was it was pretty crappy. Uh, actually, they did they they did get shut down. They got shut down. Hey, I'm they still, did. I, yes, they did. They got shut down. They had a um, they had, they had a licensor issue. But I'm just bitter because I was promised a monkey, and there was no monkey on duty that day. You did not get a monkey. I didn't get a monkey. They said they had a monkey at this chapel. And the monkey. Oh, I'd be not, pissed too. The monkey was not on duty, so. Oh. What about Elvis? Did you guys? We didn't get Elvis. That? No, we got that talkie guy. We got this. Ah, uh, he was just. They could have at least got, They could have at least gotten Mickey Dolan's. Exactly. How, how expensive could that be? Yeah. Anyway, exactly. we're getting off the track. Boy, I gotta say that the I can't believe how not dusty uh, the interior of that hotel was after forty years. <laughs> right. He's a, his so, Roomba works extra clean. Exactly. I just picture, so, so I didn't even have to wonder, because you look at, it was nothing but, nothing but particulate matter in the air. It was just this dusty haze as Kay is walking up to the hotel. Get inside, sparkling clean. So now I, I didn't have to wonder, well, what did Harrison Ford do hiding here for 40 years? He dusted. So what did you guys, how did you guys feel about the twist? Were you disappointed that uh, Kay was not the uh, the robot messiah? Or did you not care? Or did you, we really I was the... also happy, yeah. like you said. Uh, it was, oh, thank goodness. But I also kind of liked how, you know, it was it was terribly sweet. He he was so hopeful and it was, he, he was so conflicted and confused. And it was, a, it, it was lovely. <laughs> it was really great that he he really kind of hoped that he was this child and and you again know, it means so much for the potential for these replicant but you know what's interesting is that all the things you just said which i absolutely agree with you know he was so you know sweet and hopeful and all, all those things none of which he emoted none of which he acted <laughs> those are all things you that got I, the... I got those feelings Go from him but but I, but so did I. So it were it was How did he do it? It was it's effective. Mis- it's mysterious. It's it's some weird sorceress actor's power. But no, here's the thing. He, you can see it he's bottling it up, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel it most uh when he can't hold it anymore, right? When right, he's and- with the girl in the bubble and he explodes. He can't he can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. The emotion. The most emotion he showed was when she smashed 
the projector for yeah. his girlfriend. Yeah. Which he got when then he, then he actually came out of that shell. For, yeah. Okay. I also thought it was heartbreaking the the scene where he's walking across that elevated uh, skyway or catwalk, whatever you want to call it, and there was the big gigantic holographic Joy who starts talking to him because I guess mm-hmm. she's, she's got mm-hmm. some sort of proximity sensor, and she's not and she's not completely identical because obviously he you know customized his own version, but she was using certain words and dropping certain phrases that had been a huge part of their relationship like when she decides to call him joe well if you were born of woman if you're a woman born you have to have a name we'll call you joe and again not that he did anything but just the look on his face was my life was a hollow lie it's crushed yeah Yeah. it's like it's not it wasn't that he missed her it's like he was like oh i really read a lot of i really read a lot i read a lot into the clues that weren't there Thinking I was a human being, and I read a lot into her, and really she was just an appliance, and I'm just an appliance. <laughs> it was a very sad moment, and nothing, really, nothing happens. So again, it's well directed and well acted. John, how did you? You're a harsh taskmaster when it comes to um, badly constructed or, or obviously illogical story points. How did you feel about the twist? Oh, uh, yeah, I was, I was completely going in the other direction and thinking wow that was i knew that right away as soon as he was you know in the in the furnace room there and i i just knew it you know but from then on i knew you know and so when it turned around i went ah and then it's nice that they threw in that little thing where she said um that a creator will often use you know part of themselves in their uh in their their creation Mm -hmm. right and you go, okay, I got it. So she did it. Yeah, there. Oh, well, that was okay. I bought it. It was good. It was it, it was a good twist. Let's put it that way. Jeff? I was really hoping they went that way because it really felt like they were pushing you to think that he was the kid. Mm-hmm. It felt like that was going to be the obvious thing. And I mean, I, was like, I, I, I would have been fine with it if it if it would have been that way. But I was very happy that they were like, yeah, we're pushing it for the red herring. But boom. So I was totally cool with it. I was going to say one of the reasons I think that worked is because throughout the film, he's trying to show that he does have does not have that he has no, no emotional uh, investment in any of this stuff. He's just going to mm-hmm. get to his job because he's a replicant, right? Mm-hmm. And and it would it led us to the to that whole thing of saying, yeah, he says that, but he really does have these emotions. They really are there. They're really underneath all that stuff. He really feels about this stuff, and so it got us there. So by the time the the twist happened, we already knew that he was a guy that felt a replicant that felt rather yeah. than a replicant that just just obeyed. Right? Right. And and what I liked about that was the way they the twist twisted the knife, so to speak. And, <laughs> and they made a very like a, a moment that was an aha moment into an ah moment, because the woman, the 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 woman with the empty eye socket uh, said, you thought it was you, didn't you? She was like kind of not amused, but fascinated and kind of pitying at the same time. And and that was like a flash of emotion on her part, because mostly she was just sort of, she was info dumping him about the revolution. Um, it was like, it was so sad because all he could do is sit there and go, yeah, I was, yeah, I was that stupid. I did. 
Yeah, <laughs> I did. That was um, can I ask about what people thought of Robin Wright's character? Ultimately, at the end, she was protecting Kay. Do you think that was something more or just that she's just a cop? I mean, was there more to the relationship? She is in charge of the Blade Runners, but... I mean, was there more to that that I didn't know? Jeff, what do you think? I I didn't think so. Okay, John? I took it. I just took it as read. John. Yeah, yeah. I, my feeling was that she was yeah protecting the well, she was protecting the world, but she was protecting her department and her people. And so, uh, even though uh, Kay's been to me, Kay was was uh, very faithful and, very, and got things done. And then when he started to have problems, right, she thought things may be going weird, but then he explained it away and she said, okay, I'll buy that because I like but what she, you do. But she lied for him. I mean, she knew, she, she, she explicitly told Love something else that she knew about Kay. I mean, it was, I mean, she, she lied on his behalf. And right. she, she did more than that. She, she said <clears throat> when he basically failed you know, their, their very annoying version of the Voight-Comp test. <laughs> she said, uh, I can get you safely out of the building. But she was exactly. clearly breaking department protocol. More than that, that scene in his apartment where she's sitting there drinking his vodka and talking to him and trying to get to know him, it, it seems some of it, some of it may just simply be um, curiosity on her part, but it seemed more than that. It seemed more intimate, and especially when the end of the scene, she's looking at him in a clearly intrigued way, and she's you look at how much damage she's done to that bottle. It's like a quarter of it left, and she looks at it and says to him, what'll happen if I finish this? Just clearly a sexual overture. And yeah. he doesn't respond, and she just goes, he goes ah, all right. Thought, yeah. Thought maybe, and she just like she doesn't push it, but she was like getting drunk and getting kind of. She like has a soft spot for him, so I think her lying to love, despite having her like, shards of glass driven into her palm and fingers, I think she was doing it because she there was there was a she had personal feelings for this thing that, however much she knows it's artificial, she still sees something human in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I I gotta I'm gonna refer back to the original film again because there's a little thing that that's a little burr in my saddle here about the Voight comp test mm-hmm. uh, when he's testing Rachel. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? Terrell says, um, "How many questions does it usually take?" And he said about twenty. It took more than a hundred with Rachel, didn't it? And I'm going. How long does this test go? You keep on going until somebody fails. We yeah. need a hundred questions. You know, just keep keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking. You know, okay, I've decided you're a replicate now. You know, just that's weird. Well, that was weird. Yeah, it's like a what roadside sobriety test. <laughs> giving you things until you fail. Yeah, right. Good point. Okay, well, it's about time, so let's go to fascinating, irritating. And uh, let's start with Jeff. I'm going to start with irritating because there was only one thing, Jared Leto. (laughs) It's that simple. That's the only thing that genuinely just bugged the hell out of me. The fascinating thing for me with this is how they were able to take not just the story from the original, but the world, the, the mindset of the world, and 
continue it and expand upon it in a believable way. This feels like the same world 30 years later. And I was just amazingly impressed with the fact that, like, a prime example, the Star Wars prequels, in no way, <laughs> shape, or form, the prequels feel like they're in the same universe. <laughs> at least to me, they don't oh, that's at all. True. That's uh, true. You know, I mean, 2049 feels like it's in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And after having, you know, those three big budget disasters of that, it's nice to see a film, especially, you know, 30 years after the original, you know, return you to that universe and make you feel like you're in that universe. That was very, very impressive for me. Well, that seemed like the hardest thing, didn't it? Because, I mean, Ridley Scott, especially in his prime, was such a distinct visual stylist. And and the look of that film is so much is responsible for so much of its fame and cult status. They thought, oh, there's no way they're going to that. It's not going to feel like it. It's not going to look like it. And it didn't look entirely like it because, as you say, time had gone by. But it did have its own very, I thought, very, very visceral visual impact. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, so that's a good point. Uh, somebody stop typing, please. <laughs> John's probably doing some work. Actually, <laughs> all right, then John. Almost we'll... done, John. You go next, then. <laughs> okay, well then, cool, fascinating. I thought the imagery was absolutely mesmerizing. It, uh, the 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 water uh, flowing down into the uh, Los Angeles River. All these different images were just amazing to me. I just, I, I was just would have sat there and watched that for a while. Um, the thing that irritated me was, how did these replicants think they're going to start a revolution if they can't even get their plumbing fixed? <laughs> <laughs> Bravo! Yeah, it's like, well, there's a drought up here, but it's really soggy down here. I don't understand where the water's coming from. Good point, uh, Blanche. Uh, <clears throat> irritating, yeah, Jared Leto. He he was the real, <laughs> that whole character, the whole thing, gaping hole, big old problem. I didn't like his character or I wouldn't, didn't even understand his motivations either. I, it was unclear. It was a big soggy mess. I didn't like him. So that's the most irritating thing. And uh, uh, fascinating, I, I still, I love how they maintained the debate of is he or isn't he uh i really i really do that that kind of stuff really i love i love the open-ended stuff i love being able to debate it and pull things and go but this 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 here says yes and this this over here says no and i just dig that stuff so i that for me was the most fascinating part and i'm glad that they kept it okay what i found irritating was how empty the world was I seem to remember, and and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, since it has been it has been decades since I saw the original. I seem to remember Blade Runner depicted a very crowded dystopia, uh, but in twenty 24- well, it was a the main the Los Angeles was very crowded, right? But yes, in, but even but in twenty forty nine, even in L A, it seems like everybody except Robin Wright and a few racist cops uh, have left to go live the good life on the off world colonies. Yeah, that's true. It's off-world colonies, yeah, but it's also post-war and there's nuclear fallout. So you've probably had a huge loss of life. Okay. All right. I can buy that. It could seem like everyone we met is a replicant. And <laughs> if, I wanted, if I wanted to see a movie with nothing but robots in it, you know, I would have watched the 2005 movie Robots. Um, or, Star Wars, Trans- or Star Wars Episode Two, Or Transformers. Or Transformers. 
Good point. What I found fascinating is, uh, yes, they, they left, as John, as uh, sorry, Blanche pointed out, uh, they did leave the who's a replicate question open. They also raised another question. Humans can build near humans, but can, can humans build artificial master detectives? And I think, think the film answered the question, apparently not, since Kay pretty much bungles everything he does. <laughs> I mean, I love the guy, but he gets shot out of the sky with the harpoon. How hard, how hard is that? He uncovers a bare handful of clues. He draws all the wrong conclusions from them. And then he has to have the plot explained to him by a middle-aged, one-eyed replicant whose accent, you know, suggests she was created to be a supporting character in a remake of Zorba the Greek. <laughs> then, then he gets his holographic girlfriend killed. And, and gets himself fatally shot. But before he dies, to his credit, uh, he does drop Harrison Ford off for a play date with his daughter. Which so, sweet. Yeah, which is sweet. So if I were Robin Wright's character, uh, I wouldn't let Ryan Gosling conduct an investigation, uh, but I would let him participate in the carpool. Because <laughs> we know he can drive. Because we know he can, well, not, not actually, not as I get where he's going, but yeah. <laughs> how many how many cars were wrecked got you got shot you got one shot with harpoon they got one that was drowned uh one got blown up pretty much just don't don't get in a car in this movie that's that's what i learned i guess that's what i came away from but just, how sad is it that uh future old folks homes in like 40 years from now are just as sad as they are today <laughs> they are that was that was one of the that that was a bracing bit of realism. Yeah. It's like my future old folks home. <laughs> yeah, true. They don't get holograms. I don't get it. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. They get they get not on a pension. They get scrap paper. Uh, go ahead and fold <laughs> that, Grandpa. Enjoy. <laughs> Have some it's, super it's, glue and a post-it note. Go to town. But <laughs> <laughs> it's giant pieces of construction paper because they can't fold those tiny. You know the arthritis and all. And and there's probably no matchsticks by this point. No. <laughs> oh, have you ever seen a smoker try and be beg for a a, ma a match or a light in L.A.? It's, it's tough. Sad. I feel it's for that. Really them. sad. I know. I know. <sighs> it Walker. I. I, they ask me that all the time. Well, I get asked for cigarettes, I guess, because my, my age makes me look like I might still be stupid enough to smoke. Um, You're so thin. Yeah. <laughs> True, though. I actually feel bad. You know, they're like asking everybody and no, and no, I'm sorry. I'm... I remember the days when there was always a jar beside the cash register of every greasy spoon or an oversized brandy snifter at the hostess station. If you were in a restaurant or a bar filled with matchbooks free for the taking often with cool customized designs advertising, you know, whatever joint you're in in case you caught a bad case of film noir amnesia and needed to reconstruct your movements from the night before. It was very handy. And you could grab a couple or scoop up a handful of those red and white peppermint candies and be on your way. <laughs> it, and when I see them, I, I grab them because it's so rare. I think it's a treat. I'm like, oh, look, matchbooks. Yeah. You know, I love it. <laughs> no, yeah, they're becoming scarce. But I remember as a kid playing with the 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 cigarette dispensers, you know, the mm -hmm. vending machines. Mm -hmm. I loved playing with those. And it's yeah, because they had those they had those knobs <laughs> that you could pull out and they'd you snap out. Uh, it was so much fun. Anyway, <laughs> speaking speaking of things we did before video games, 
Well, speaking of things, in 30 years, how much the world has changed. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, John has obviously got to get back to work, so (laughs) based on the ambient noise. Thanks to new movie crew regulars John Zura and Blanche Ramirez. Uh, Mary didn't want to see Blade Runner 2049 because she's never seen Blade Runner. I know, I know, but I'm only one man. I can only do so much. Anyway, we'll be back in two weeks or less with a phantasmagasm of geek as we look at the best and the maybe not so best of the new science fiction shows on TV. But before that, join us on Halloween for a special Better Living Through Bad Movies holiday presentation of a very bad movie. Very bad. Believe me, you're not going to want to miss this. And until then, 